The information discussed in this episode is intended as general information only. It is not intended for one-on-one medical advice, and you should always consult your healthcare practitioner before making any changes. And if you like the content discussed in this episode, please go leave a review so that others can benefit from it as well. I am a woman on a mission that is dedicated to teaching you just how powerful your body was built to be. I like to do that by bringing you the latest science, the greatest thought leaders, and applicable steps that help you tap into your own internal healing power. The purpose of this podcast is to give you the power back and help you believe in yourself again. My name is Dr. Mindy Pels, and I want to thank you for spending part of your day with me. Hey, Resetters, as we step into the new year, I am so thrilled to invite you on an extremely transformative journey with me in my Reset Academy. So check this out. If you're ready to kickstart your fasting and health journey, which I know so many of you have reached out to us and asked how you customize a fasting lifestyle for you, my Reset Academy is the absolute best place to be. So here's what you get in the academy, and I like to think of it in terms of a complete picture. So imagine being surrounded by people who understand your journey, who are passionate for fasting, who want to lift you up and will support you every step of the way. My academy is not just me, my team, but it is an incredible group of people that are all dedicated to building fasting lifestyles and supporting each other in it. This is why I created the Reset Academy. So when you join, you gain access to all the exclusive calls where my team and I share the latest insights, we answer your burning questions, and we guide you towards your health goals. That's not it. We didn't stop there. By becoming a member, you're not just investing in a membership, but you're investing in yourself. I am such a fan of setting you up to win this year. And my academy is the best place I know to do that. I want to keep you focused. I want you to customize this for you. And I want you to succeed at your health goals this year. End of story. So if you're ready to unlock your fullest potential and embrace a fasting lifestyle, join me. If it feels good, join me. And let's make this year an incredible year for us all. So all you got to do is go visit drmindypels.com slash Reset Academy to become a member. I can't wait to welcome you. I can't wait to see you on the Zoom calls. I can't wait to be in community with you. And most importantly, let's get your health goals handled and let's do this together. It's so much better together. Together. So that's drmindypels.com slash Reset Academy. Excited to see you there. Okay, Resetters, I have another awesome interview for you all with a fascinating woman. Her name is Dr. Angela Loria, and her passion is books, and she teaches people how to write books. So you might be like asking yourself, well, why would you bring a woman like that onto a health podcast? Well, if you haven't been able to tell, I love fascinating conversations, and I really love pain-to-purpose journeys, people who have overcome Dr. Angela is going to tell you some really interesting stories. We talk about mindset. We talk about how she has used her mind as a tool to create a hugely successful business. We even talked about leadership and coaching. It's just this conversation has so many pieces to it. 
And uh, Jess, you were there. What'd you think of it? Yeah. I mean, oh, she was amazing. She's first off hilarious. She's just so authentic in what her message is and how she wants to show up in the world, which I think is really inspiring during this time. Yeah. I just found her so inspiring. Yeah. She's, she's very inspiring because what I love about her is she doesn't just show you the glossy, like, look at me. Like she has this huge multi-million dollar business and she's been named like by Inc. Magazine as one of the fastest growing companies. Like this woman has some cred where she could seriously be more like have sort of an elite attitude, but she doesn't. She's she's raw. She'll tell you where she's made mistakes. She'll tell you what she's done right. And it's like, a, it gives us all permission just to be ourselves when we hear it and, and inspires us to be as authentic as she is. You know, the other thing I really loved about it is she went into, you know, self-reflecting on what your purpose is in this world, which I think many of us really struggle with trying to figure out. Um, and she talked about she didn't even really realize her purpose until she was like what forty forty I, yeah, I I was I was not expecting that I was not either I was not but, either because we met her what I call her highlight reel like and this happens a lot where you like meet people at their prime and you just assume they've always been at that highlight reel right. well she's like I think she's like forty seven forty eight now so this was only seven eight years ago that she did not know her purpose right. I know. And now look at what she's, what she's accomplished. Crazy. So, so anyway, so we talked about, of course, books, because that's her passion. We talked about leadership. I, it was interesting. I did some research on the study, the science of leadership. And one of the things that we know about leadership is that if you're, if you're following a leader that doesn't have good habits, that it, it can make somebody leave their job quite quickly and it can destroy a company. So interesting statistics that 50% of employees quit their job because their man, they don't like their manager. Wow. There is like 80% of people don't trust their boss. What? 80%? Right? 80%? 80%. Yep. Research, this is the other thing I found. Research indicates that 30 to 60% of leaders act destructively. And they estimate that costs each company anywhere from a million to $2 million for every failed leader. And then we didn't even get a chance to talk about this, but science shows that leadership is actually has a genetic piece to it that you have leadership qualities like uh, curiosity and emotional intelligence and ambition. And those qualities are many of the qualities that you have learned or, or they that have been genetically pre-programmed in, in you from your family. And she talked about that. She talked- yeah, she, yeah, she went into her dad and how her dad was an entrepreneur. Yeah. So, and it kind of reminded me of Sarah Blakely's story about her dad really programming her entrepreneurial brain. Right. So, and then the other thing I thought was really interesting about this was that the part at the end about creation and how important the, the neuroscience behind creating. Well, I'm sure that just like lit you up because there's something more than you love talking about neuroscience. But yes, it was fascinating. I loved her take on creativity and how not only does it serve you, but it serves the world. And it, it was like, it reminded me so much of forgiveness that you, that there's a, a neurochemical reaction that happens in your body when you forgive others. And it's really for you. It's not for the other person. And she talked about how powerful creation is right now in this pandemic. 
So really fun conversation, you guys. And this is, you'll find what I love about mindset is even though so many of you are fasting and you're trying all the keto variations and you're trying to improve your health, what I love about when someone like Dr. Angela comes to the Resetter podcast is that she really will give you some insight on how to expand the way that your mind thinks. Don't you think, Jess? Yeah, well, and your mind is such an important concept in anything you're doing, whether it's your health or if you go more specific into fasting, like you have to have some tools in order to, you know, pursue and go to where you're trying to go with anything that you're doing. Yep. Uh, absolutely. Absolutely. So you guys enjoy this. And as always, if you love it, leave us a review, share it out. And if you're thinking about writing a book, you're going to want to write one with this woman. She is quite incredible. So excited to share this one with you. Okay, let's start off with this. So I did some research on you, even though I thought I knew you, but I actually discovered that I didn't know as deeply about you as I thought I did. So I went to go find the movie, The Weight of Success. I'm sure a lot of people do that to mm-hmm. stalk you there. It's a good place to stalk me. Okay. Amazon Prime, available for free or theweightofsuccess.com, I think. Okay. Awesome. So I didn't get all the way through the movie, so I'll I'll admit that. Sorry, I'll put it on my on my to do list. But I, I I'm intrigued by it. But what I did find was a really interesting, some really interesting information about you. And I want to read them, read it out loud, so that our listeners understand what a badass you are. All right, let's go. Are you ready? Okay. So this is on. I think this was on the Weight of Successes page about who you are. So Dr. Angela Loria is the founder of the Author Incubator and Difference Press. Hopefully you knew that. Hopefully people know that. But the Author Incubator was ranked number 285 on the Inc. 500 Fastest Growing Companies and number 260 on Entrepreneurial Magazine's Entrepreneur 360. Well, I have updates because those numbers are old. We moved up on the list to 275 on the Inc. 500, and we were number 87 on Entrepreneurs 360. And we just got a ranking from Inc. Magazine does a regional ranking for the Washington, D.C. metro area. So we're the seventh fastest growing company in the D.C. area. And I think I just won something else. Virginia Magazine, one of the top 10 business women-owned businesses in Virginia. So yeah, lots of crazy things. Yeah. So like I said, I just want everybody listening to know, like I'm about to pick the mind of a woman who has created something incredible. And I also, this was also really interesting is that you were named the top 10 most inspiring entrepreneurs to watch. And that only only two of the people on that top 10 list. This is for Entrepreneur Magazine were women. Two women. I know. I am so shocked. This is the first thing I do whenever we win awards. And like, I want to talk about awards. It's very, the psychology is very interesting. But one of the first things I do is I will scan through everyone's name to see if I can identify other women. You can't always tell because not every name is obvious, but there are not a lot of women that make these lists. And yet I spend much of my time with badass business owners that are women. Yeah. So the other person whose name appears a lot of times is my friend, Jennifer Kim. 
And I had this conversation with Jennifer one day and Jennifer's, more, I'm a feminist, but she's more of like a, a studied and erudite feminist. And so I said to her, did you ever notice like our names are the only names on these lists? Like, well, where are the other women? We're here, we're with them. And she said, they don't apply for the awards. Oh, interesting. It's an application, you guys. You still have to win. But it's like 50 bucks for all these things. You have to fill out a form. You got to give them your 50 bucks. And then you get the awards. And you know who likes applying for awards? Dudes. Ah, interesting. Interesting. We don't want to look too... I don't 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 want to make people feel uncomfortable. Like... I've got it's a bad so figure yeah. business. If that makes you uncomfortable, you know, yeah. what am I going to tell you? Right. But, and you know what? That's so true because I can tell you parenting a daughter and a son, how they show up in the world is really different. Not just because they're different people, but I watch a lot. Like my daughter will often like push her power to other people, even though she's a really strong woman. And my son will stand in his, in his accomplishments it, with great pride. It so surprises me so much. I've learned so much about this recently. I'm in a group of all men and it's so fascinating. I read this book. I think it's right over here somewhere. It's called The Female Brain. Mm. And it's about the just the scientific differences, the number of like cross-wiring, cross-patterning between left and right brain for women, our ability to like multitask. And I think this shows up so much in business and just in life in general, in confidence for women and the way that we present ourselves that we don't want to get kicked out of the tribe. I think a lot of this has like biological roots. And so like, you got to make sure the dude with the big stick is there to, you know, kill the tiger. Yep. So So we don't want to outperform him. Got right. Because then what are we going to We got to kill the tiger? Like, so uh, yeah, we have, we have to, to really change that. Retrain ourselves. And I think when someone like you shows up with a badass podcast, a badass business, when someone like me shows up with a business, when we apply for their awards, when we put on our bio, I'm a Wall Street Journal bestseller, when we do the work to write a book and make it a bestseller, when we send an email out that might feel vulnerable saying, I'd really like your reviews for my podcast or book or subscribe. When we do all that stuff, it's awesome for us because we build our businesses and whatever. But I think it's awesome for all the women we reach and the fathers of daughters we reach and anyone who loves a woman like their mother. Like It just changes what's possible in your readers' minds. Yeah. Oh, I love that. So what I learned from that is I should start applying for more more awards. Jessica, I think we got to add that to our list. Yeah, I was going to say, so what that means is I need to start applying for more awards. <laughs> yeah, so what happens is there are a whole bunch of awards I've applied for. And then somehow the award people talk to each other. And now I get awards all the time that I didn't apply for. So cool. But you got to tell people you exist. They don't just like... When you see those awards, it's not like the ink magazine people went to every business on the planet yep. and went to their website and decided, are we going to give them an award? You have to tell them you exist. Yeah. Okay. I love that. So, okay. Then I went and like I, I watched a little bit of The Weight of Success and I was sort of chuckling to myself because I'm like, you were not born a badass. 
No. So talk a little bit about this. Or maybe we all are. (laughs) Okay. So, but I think what a lot of people do is they can look at successful people. And we see this in the health industry all the time where we're like, well, of course, like most people don't know that I struggled with my weight in my 20s and I ate junk food and I was drinking soda pops and in my 20s. And then over the years, I just figured out how to unravel that because you 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 learn and you find people who inspire you. So you could easily look at someone like you and, and say, well, yeah, of course you can have this crazy successful business. Look at you. You've got such a clear way of leadership. You've got such a great mindset. But what I really want to dive into is you weren't born with this amazing mindset. No, I definitely, like we all have advantages. I can see now how growing up as the daughter of an entrepreneur mm. gave me some advantages. My, my dad woke up every morning and he woke up at 6.20. He left the house at 7 a.m. every morning, the whole time, you know, whatever, the whole time I was growing up. Then he came home every night at 6.20. He had dinner and he went back to work at 7 p.m. Like I could set a watch on my dad's schedule. Super routine. And he loved it. He didn't go back to work just because there was so much work. He went back to work because there was nothing. He like bounced out of bed to go to work. My dad always loved... He still does all the same stuff. He's 80 now and he still does everything he did same schedule and everything, even though he's retired because he was always doing what he was passionate about. So I did grow up thinking once you find what you love, you will make a lot of money doing it. And I didn't have to work for that one. Yeah. My problem was I couldn't figure out what I loved. Like it was easy for my dad. My dad fell in love with cars when he was 12 years old and he always wanted a car and then he wanted a nicer car and then he wanted a nicer, nicer car. And so he built his business. But I'm like, I don't have, I'm not good at anything. I don't have anything. I can't figure out what I want to do. I want to do things. I never get picked. I never get picked for sports teams. I never get picked for roles. I wanted to be in theater. I would like have to do the costumes and props because I'd never get a good role. And so I'm like, what's my thing? I couldn't find my thing. I was always looking for my thing. And so in the meantime, while I was trying to figure out what I was going to do, I would always get these opportunities, which I'm sure everybody got to write books. You know, I would meet people on the subway and they would hire me to write a book or I'd be like walking on a hike And I'd meet someone who would hire me to write a book. So obviously anybody could do that. So for 20 years, I was ghostwriting books, 17 to 20, depending on how you count. I was ghostwriting books. I made plenty of money to live on doing this random book stuff. And there's a whole shelf of them there. Those are a bunch of the books that I worked on. They were like totally random, espionage. I wrote one about... Air Force One. I like lived across the street from the White House and I met a guy who worked at the White House. So he asked me to ghostwrite a book. I'm sure he would have asked anyone. And so I had 29 books I'd ghostwritten while I was trying to figure out what I was going to be when I grew up. Wow. And how old were you then? Oh, almost 40. Oh my I gosh. wrote my first book at 21. I couldn't figure out. I graduated. I had a double major in journalism and theater. 
I really wanted to do theater. I wasn't getting cast. So people started asking me to do books. My first book was on the First Amendment, actually. I wrote a little handbook. First Amendment handbook. I did the Almanac of U.S. Politics. Did a bu- Oh, I did this book on espionage. When you, do, when you do a book like that, what do you, you, you have to research it, you write it, and then you give yeah. it, hand it over to somebody else and they put Easy, their name right? on it. Anybody can do it. I, I guess. It was, to me, it was like babysitting. Once I figure out what I'm going to do, I'll go do my real job. And in the meantime, whatever. Within or days, the declaration of war. Yeah. <laughs> right? So 20 years go by. And I'm almost 40 and I still have not figured out what I'm going to do with my life. So I was applying, I thought I should go to law school. I could be a personal injury attorney. This was my Oh God. Oh God. True story. I'm so happy you didn't do that. Let me tell you, we've worked with some of those. They are not happy people. It would have been perfect for me. I wasn't happy either. (laughs) I was like very cranky. And I was good at arguing. My mom would always say, you should be a lawyer. You're always arguing. And I took a quiz. I was like, well, I don't want to sign up for law school. It's really expensive. It's hard to get into. I don't want to sign up for law school unless I'm sure this time it's right. I was also spinning in indecision for 20 years. And I read this book that was, I Googled books like What Color Is Your Parachute? And I was Googling a personality quiz for career, career personality quiz. I found um, Strengths Finder at that time. Like I wanted to make sure I got this right. And there was not a single quiz I took that said I should be a personal injury attorney. Okay, well, good. Thank God. (laughs) And I like wouldn't give myself permission to go do it until I had proof I had figured out the right thing. So I started that research project when I was 33, trying to figure out what I was going to do. And in the meantime, I just wrote a bunch more books because whatever, easy way to make $100,000 a year. People pay you $25,000. You write a book. It takes a couple of weeks. I would usually spend about two months writing a book. Like That's super easy. And I'm still trying to figure out, what do I do? Like, what am I going to do? So I spent seven years and I went to... I went to the doctor. I went to the mountains. I did. I did all the things. I looked at the children. I drank from the fountain. Name it. And I had a therapist and I had a life coach and I went to every self-help summit, retreat, you name it, read all the books. And then, you know, every time I would go to one of these conferences, I'd meet someone there who'd hire me to write a book. I'm going to write a book for them. And someday I was going to figure out what was my thing, right? Here it is. Under my nose. I couldn't see it. I just could not see it. And of course, now I realize most people don't hop on a subway and get hired to write a book. Most people don't take a hike and get hired by a stranger in the woods to write a book. Like, Like, literally, the universe was like screaming in my fit. Like, how about now? Yeah. How about yep. you walk by the White House and someone from the White House hires you to write a book? That ringing any bells? Anything, <laughs> little lady? <laughs> but this is the thing about mindset, right? Because I was so 
committed to the story, I don't know what I want to be when I grow up. Mm. I would tell that. And when I would see my family, they've been like, have you figured it out? Have you gotten a real, that was the sentence. Have you gotten a real job yet? It was never hello. It was always, have you gotten a real job yet? The answer is no. I mean, I'm just writing books on the first amendment. Like real. Sounds like a real job to me. (laughs) A real paycheck job. I didn't see it. And everybody around you is reflecting what you believe. So I thought of myself as a dog walker who had not figured out her shit, babysitter. I never found a real job. I was like a scrapper. I had credit card debt. I had to borrow money for my family all the time. I was the one who hadn't figured it out. My sister was a nurse. My other sister was a VP of marketing. See, this is this is why I love talking to people like you because I we see so much in our resetter group, like so and so can fast, so and so can do keto, so and so can can do this, and they're getting these great results. And I'm like, no, you don't understand. Like greatness is trained. Greatness is like a habit that you do over and over again. And I love hearing people who have hit some walls and figured out. And not greatness is trained. Yes. I was doing mindset work. I was saying a mantra. The mantra was, I haven't figured out my thing yet. I don't have a real job. You had limiting beliefs. You had your... Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's all the same. I do all the same things now. Like now I think I'm the CEO of an eight-figure business. I just think it all day long. So you have a different story you tell yourself. I have a different story I tell ourselves. And it's so hard to see our own stories. And that's why having a coach is so important because you just can't see your own bullshit. And not because you're... I Me neither. That's why I have a coach. Yep. It's not like I you're have doing something wrong. Nothing that I love to talk about more than wine. So I got to tell you about Dry Farm Wines, which is my absolute favorite place to get wine from for many different reasons. One, they're keto friendly. You didn't hear that wrong. They're literally keto friendly. They have no added sugars, no added toxins, and they will leave you feeling amazing the next morning. So go check out their website that not only is the wine incredible, but the people behind the wine are amazing. You guys know how I love people who are on a mission to serve the world. Well, Todd White and his crew are on a mission to help people drink healthy wines and enjoy the whole experience. So they taste amazing. And if you go to dryfarmwines.com backslash Dr. Mindy Pels, they will actually send you a bottle for a penny. So give it a try. Let me know what you think. And cheers to an incredible wine experience. Yeah, so I'm such a fan of coaching. I, when I started my chiropractic practice, I had, I actually bought the business from a woman who was a badass. That's, this is actually a, a really interesting story because I bought it from her. She financed it to me. I was 26 years old. I had no idea how to run a business or be a boss. And she looked at me, she told me a couple of things that will stick in my 50 year old brain and probably well beyond this moment is she said, I've always, part of my success is that I always am, 
had a coach. So I'm going to owner finance this practice for you. And I'm going to give you, I want you to use this coach. And you have to use this coach until the practice is paid off. Once the practice is paid off, you can do whatever you want. And so that was, I was 26, I'm 50 now. And I got so much out of that one coach that I've never in my 26 years not had a coach. I have had anything I want to do great, I go and get a coach for. I was going to say, I do find I have out, not in a bad way, but like outgrown coaches. Like it usually takes me a couple of years and then I've learned everything that coach has to say. They're in my ear, they're in my DNA now. Yep. So you do evolve, but if you have a goal, getting a coach is such a game changer because so much you just can't see from where So that's one of the things I I researched because I was thinking about coaching. And I again, my science brain kicks in and is like, do we have any studies like showing that, you know, coaching actually is a proven path to success? So I found this really interesting Forbes article and there were a couple of highlights that they pointed out. And one was that CEOs of the most successful companies have the highest level of self-awareness. That there was a trait of if you had higher self-awareness, you were a more impactful CEO and therefore your company was was stronger. And they went on to say that they got that self-awareness by having an executive coach. It doesn't surprise me. It's, and <laughs> there's a certain desperation with entrepreneurship that leads you to hiring that executive coach. And that desperation, I think of often as employees. When you're responsible for more tasks than you can do yourself and you have to hire people, I think that, or you are in an organization if you're brought in as a CEO, but I think that is one of the hardest skills in the world is you know, team building, community building, building culture, getting stuff done. You can't force people to do it. You have to excite them to do it. You have to build a vision. Meanwhile, you just want the damn tasks done and could people (laughs) just read your mind? That would make it all much easier, especially if they're your husband. And I think so many more CEOs are open to getting a coach, an executive coach, whatever, because the pain of managing a team is so high, right? And I think there are, it's, it's like, you know, the desire to win an Olympic medal. Maybe there's someone, but I would say far more than 99% of Olympians have a coach. Yeah. It's because that desire to succeed is so high that your brain is like, oh, if I want to succeed for real, I would probably need to get a coach. Yeah, but don't you like don't you think you could use that mindset in everything? Like we got a puppy many years back and I'm like, I don't know how to train a puppy. I could sit and I could watch you know, what's his name Cesar Chavez, the dog whisperer and try to watch as many episodes as possible and figure it out or I could just hire a damn trainer, bring him in and like have him show me how to train this puppy. Right. So I just think you could learn that. Like I used to use this analogy of like, I really want, I have not done this yet, but I really wanted urban chickens. Wouldn't you like fresh? Oh, 
Uh, I do. My I every about once a month I ask my husband, "Can we do that? Can we get a chicken now?" And then he reminds me that the dog would eat right. the chicken. Right. Yeah, I just realized it was a lot of work, but I really wanted chicken. And I just thought if I needed, if I was going to get the chickens and I needed a chicken coop and to figure out all the things chicken eat, would I ever think, I guess I'll just build this myself. I am sure there are instructions, plans, drawings, architectural blueprints. I am 100% uh, Home Depot says you can build it. We can help. Like, no. It's right. I'm buying a prefab chicken coop and I'm going to hire some sort of chicken consultant to help me not kill the chickens. Yeah, exactly. It's yeah. like, why do we hold ourselves back? And I know coaching is expensive. It's expensive to work with me. It's expensive for me to work with my coaches. But what I would rather see people do, and if somebody's like watching this, listening to this, this is what I'd ask yourself is like, any of the goals you have, if you don't have a coach and you have made an honest effort on your own to like read the books, to DIY it, to build your own chicken coop, you've made that effort and you have failed either because you read stuff and you didn't finish it. You didn't have the stick to or you read stuff, you did it and it failed like a little Pinterest fail. If you have tried and you are not able to do it on your own, my advice is either hire a coach and it's worth the investment. Thousands of dollars, going to be thousands of dollars, hundreds of dollars, but you're going to spend money or drop the goal. Yes. I would agree with you. And then just free yourself. You don't, whatever the thing is, you don't have to have, you and I dropped our urban chickens goal. Yes. Yes. It's like, you don't have to have urban chickens or suburban chickens. Like you can drop the goal and then be free and you don't have the guilt and shame of failing yourself and the chickens and the eggs and your children. Just be like, if I wanted urban chickens, I would have invested in that. Yeah. So if it's, you know, whatever weight loss goal, if it's getting rid of hot flashes, if it's writing a book, you don't have to get rid of hot flashes. Most people didn't. Yeah. People lived for 10 years. Fine. They will not kill you. You may not like it, but they will not kill you. Like most people haven't written a book, specifically 97% of the population. You will live, you can still make a contribution to society. But I think the worst thing we do to ourselves is we want something and then we don't invest in getting it. Yes. That's just broken dreams, time away from your kids, lost money, lost energy, probably extra weight or too much drinking or too much something you shouldn't be doing. Because all of that, all of those lies to yourself of saying, I want it, but I'm not willing to invest in it. I want it and I'm not willing to, they have to come out somewhere. Yeah. So we see this in the health industry so much where people want a result. And so, and I see it with like people who come to my YouTube or they'll listen to the podcast or our resetter group where we fast together every month. And they, all of that is free information. So they are getting pieces, just like going to YouTube to figure out how to build the chicken coop. You could go learn a bunch of pieces, but they don't have a system to put it together. And somebody who's like saying, do this step and then this step and this step, like moving them forward. So they bat around in the system quite a bit. 
And then they give up on, like you said, they give up on the dream or their best worst yet. Their best friend says, hey, I just did the carnivore diet and I lost 20 pounds in two weeks. You should go do that. Then they go do it and they don't lose 20 pounds in two weeks. And now they're beating themselves up. So I, I couldn't agree more. Like it, I personally have made it a mission to continually invest in myself because I know that my happiness is going to come from me being the best version of that I can possibly be in whatever endeavors I'm going to take move forward on. And I, I was trying to express this to my staff the other day. And I, I said to them, I think in 26 years, I've spent over a million dollars on coaching. What do you think? What do you think you've spent? It's got to be close. I had one coach that was 250k for the year. I had another coach that was 180, and I had another coach that was 120. So just those were at half a million. And then the number of 50k, 60k, 25k, and then of course all the little you know, I've done $300 writing workshops, $3,000 workshops. I've done three different life coach certification programs. If we're not at a million, we're definitely... I added it up once and I was at 500,000, but that was probably five years ago. Right. Yeah. And, and would I have undone any of that? Absolutely not. No way. There, there's. I, I was telling Jessica that... I was looking through my old pictures, trying to figure out to find a picture of my dad for Father's Day. And I found this picture of the 20-year-old version of me. And my mom is all young and she's got her like arm around me. And I look like a little brat. Like my eyes are down. Like my, I've got these big glasses on because it was like the 90s. And I'm like got this like look on my face. And I wanted to take a picture of it and send it to my daughter who's 20 and say... If you ever want to know what I was like at 20, I'm just going to show you this picture because this was me before I emerged into what I'm doing now. And it took 30 years and over, well, you count chiropractic school. I mean, millions of dollars to get to the point where I'm living is amazing. PhD. So I did a PhD in philosophy in Switzerland and the school is... I mean, it's accredited, but it's barely accredited. And I have a couple classmates that are now university professors, but mostly it was artists, like really freaky New York, London, Berlin artists doing super cutting edge stuff. And I just wanted to be in that soup. So fun. Um, I, my um, my dissertation is about how to use live performance and live events to create social change. Wow. Um, I studied in innovation theory, diffusion of innovation theory. I was all super nerdy. Yeah. So if we add that in, we're well... Yeah. I'm like a school nerd. Right. But like, what's the... I think what that's one of the questions to ask yourself is for you. And I don't think there's a right or a wrong answer. But for you, what is the purpose of life? What is the meaning of life? What is the purpose of life? For me, I make meaning through my own growth and improvements, not saying everyone else should. And for me, the purpose of life is to climb Maslow's hierarchy of needs and live my best life possible. Now, there are people I know and love 
There's even a great line from Hamilton. That's why we live fast and make this moment last. He's talking about living in the Caribbean, the character of Hamilton living in the Caribbean. He's like, we all die young. So we live for the moment. We live for a beer, maybe a joint, the beach. Like, that's why we live fast, make this moment last. Like, let's laugh, let's have fun, let's listen to some reggae. I got no problem with that. It's not the deck I hold. It's not the hand I hold. Mm -hmm. I just... Mm -hmm. I got the make as much meaning, make as big of an impact, live the best life possible, be the best person I could be. And I would say that to me too. It's like, I just love growth. I love like one of the things I geek out on, and this is why I love books, is I really like anything that can give me a different perspective in life that I'm like, oh, I didn't think of it that way. And now my vision's gone from here, like kind of closed into like, whoa, okay, now I'm seeing things in a bigger light. So I find I'm kind of like a, more of an information junkie and I want to just keep, okay, let's go to the... Now what else can we accomplish? What else can we learn? It's part of the, like enjoying that experience of it for me. So yeah, I think that's so true. And I think your best mindset hack is starting right there and saying like, what is your... What's your mission? You don't have to do a formal mission statement, although I like, I have one and I like it when people do, but like, what is your mission? What is the purpose? Because there is someone in my life who has, I think I trigger her and she will often borrow my purpose. And I think also we do this with our kids. A lot of people do this with our kids. We give our kids our purpose. Yeah. Right? And so we judge their decisions based on what we think the purpose of their life is. But so powerful. If you are doing this to yourself where you're watching this podcast and you're trying to be better and you're thinking of all of the ways you can improve, but really you just want a long weekend, a beer, a drink with an umbrella in it. Like one of the first things you learn in life coaching is about creating your own vision, your own life, designing your life for what you want. And that, that is the biggest gift you can give yourself. You may not need to change anything except the part where you beat yourself up. Right. Well, and that's the, that is like the big thing that I say to my resetters all the time. Like there's no such thing as failure if you are open to every experience being a learning opportunity, you just step into it and you kind of see what it, how it works for you and then you learn from it. But again, I'll say in health, I'm sure in book writing, they do the same thing. People like are so critical. Oh, I didn't do that right. I'll tell you in fasting, like I, we see this all the time where people are like, I was going to do a 48 hour fast and I only went 17 hours and so therefore I failed. So I came up with this concept that there's no such thing as a failed fast. Like there's still, you, you stepped in, you went 17 hours with food, without food. Let me tell you what happened to your body in that 17 hours. Like there's no failure here. There was a move, a momentum forward and that, hallelujah, there was momentum forward. So don't beat yourself up. And from that new place, figure out where you want to go now. So, so I had a weird health experience last year where I had a, I don't know, I'll say an optional medical treatment. It wasn't super optional, but I could have not done it. 
And all of my naturopath friends and clients were like, it's a Western medicine intervention. Find the root cause. Don't do this intervention. Like, look for the root cause. Because if you do this intervention, it's just going to cause a whole bunch of other symptoms. And we're not finding out what's really going on. But then I had a Western medicine doctor who was really pressuring me. Yeah. Like, you like everybody's going to die. You must yep. do this. They're right good now. at that. Yeah. And so I got, I know the things, I've read the books, but I got like freaked out in the moment that I was going to die. And so I did the treatment. And everything all my naturopath friends said would happen, happened. All these other symptoms, all this, like I couldn't unravel it. It was this whole Pandora's box open. And I was so mad at myself because I was like, but I know better. Like, I know better. Why did I do this? And I called my friend Isabella Wentz. Oh, um, yeah. And so I was on the phone with Isabella and I was like, but I, know, but I just, why did I do it? And of course, she also does not have a time machine. So this right. was a very fruitful <laughs> conversation. And she said to me, I think it's great you did it because now we have more information. Yeah. Yep. But now what we know is it's probably one of these things. We've eliminated what some of the root cause could have been. Yep. Now we've got more in- information to play yep. with. And here's the next thing we can test. And this might not work either. Yep. I think a lot of naturopaths will tell you never do a Western intervention. Sometimes you get information faster. Oh, I always tell people if you're going to, if sometimes you go and you step into like a big diagnostic tool because you just need peace of mind and you just got to get that information. So I agree. I really am a fan of just taking the next step and then from there figuring out what you need to do. You feel so much better with that one sentence. And it was. Huge mindset shift to my what I was thinking was I messed up, like I got into a car accident and I got to get the car fixed. Right. I messed up and I got to fix it. I messed up and I got to fix it. And she's like, You're just on the same health journey you've been on. Here's where the health journey is going now. What do you want to do today? Awesome. That's awesome. I love that. It's a good friend, it's a powerful friend. Right. <laughs> yeah. Okay. So tell, let's go back to books for a second because the other thing I learned in stalking you yesterday was that you had a, one book that changed your life. I think I know the book, but you mentioned that there was one book in the, it was in the self help section. Yes. So that book was called If I'm So Smart, Why Can't I Lose Weight? Ah, uh, yes. Okay. I've heard you talk about this. And I thought, when I saw this book, what I thought would be inside, and we, we often do this when we see a book, we judge it by its cover. You may have yeah. heard. I thought, this is great. I know I'm really smart. I got good grades in school. And inside this book, it's going to tell me the reason you're overweight is you're not fasting. You're eating too many carbs. Here's the glycemic index you need to understand. I thought it would be a nutrition, like a science and nutrition book. Mm-hmm. And the answer to the question, there was like, I don't know, 500 words on what to eat. There was very little on what to eat. But the answer to the question, if I'm so smart, why can't I lose weight? In that book, the answer was because you're eating your feelings. Basically, Mm. you're not fully accountable for your emotions. So one of the things she teaches is eat when you're hungry, stop when you're full. 
and know what that feels like. And I had never stopped to just feel my body. I'd spent a lot of time in my brain. Mm -hmm. And so that book, which unfolded for me over seven years, was about getting to develop a relationship with my body to see what it could do and what it was thinking and what information it had for me. This is what we say actually in fasting all the time is when you make a decision to go without food, things will show up, limiting beliefs show up and you now have an opportunity to address those that you may have not figured out that that was, that that was going to, to be the, the Yeah, situation. that's what Rick said, Rick said in the book, if you want to know why you're overeating, stop overeating. Yeah. The, it, oh, we see it. So we, we see with fasting, like people, I mean, because we have 30,000 people in our Resetter Collaborative on Facebook. And once a month, we fast together for five days. And we do different versions of fasting. But the, oh my gosh, people start typing because they go to social media and they're like, oh my God, I'm dizzy, this, that. And you can just, you just see their stuff come up. And if they're aware of it, there's so much healing that can happen in that moment. And I had a really interesting same experience in chiropractic school where I had this aha moment. I was, I was an emotional eater. My mom was one of those moms that was like, oh, you had a bad day. Sit down. Let me make you some food. And so I really learned to soothe my emotions with food. And I never thought until I was about 25 years old that there would be any other reason you would eat food other than for pleasure and for, right, for emotional. That revelation. I just thought that's what you ate was for pleasure and, to st- and for feelings if you needed right. to like. So I was sitting in a class in chiropractic school and all of a sudden it hit me that my body actually had an intelligence that it knew if I tapped into it, I would know when to eat and when not to eat. And it could guide me as to what my body needed. So it's kind of the same sort of thing that you came to. Yeah. But the way you get there is you stop eating. And that is, I think for, for me, at least I'll speak for myself, like required a lot of support to do that because it had just been programmed for so long. Yeah, agreed. And and then my other book thing I want to tell you, and then I want to move on to talk about leadership because I I want to pick your brain on leadership a bit. I had chronic fatigue when I was 20. I'd been diagnosed with chronic fatigue syndrome after a series, a long day of being at different doctors telling me that my life was ending. I landed in a bookstore down at, I grew up in LA and I was landed in, do you know the East West bookstore? Yes. I'm sorry, the East West is up here, the Bodie Tree Bookstore is in Melrose. This is part of why I named my daughter Bodie because I had this like transformative experience in this bookstore. So I I was sitting on the ground in this totally fatigued state and it was like this book jumped out at me and it was Living in the Light by Shakti Gawain. Have you ever, do you have it? It's right. It's over there on that shelf. Yes, a hundred percent. Shaq, did you know she died last year? Oh, did she? Oh, I, I. That's a bummer. She's I was one of my first. Yeah, one of my first loves. Yes. Yeah, she was. She like changed my life. So I get this book, and it's a bright yellow book, and I love color. And so she, I take it home, and it was all about like tapping into the universe and meditating. And I was like, well, I can meditate. I'm just passed out on the couch. I can do that. 
And it totally like changed me into seeing my building a, a healing mindset. It was incredible. So great book. It's great. So, okay, let's talk about leadership for a moment. We live in a time right now where we are really needing good leaders on all fronts. I feel like it's not just in the political realm, not just in the, you know, teachers and, but we need to have skills to lead ourselves and in our own personal direction. What do you, one of the things I personally love about you is I love watching how you lead. Like you are, and I know other people have said this to you, like, I love how authentic you are and how real you'll say when you feel certain about something and you'll say something when you're like, like when we first went into the pandemic, I remember you saying like, I don't freaking know. I've never been in a pandemic before. (laughs) So, but it's in that like genuine authenticity that people feel comfortable following you and and listening to you because they know they're going to get a really sincere answer. What do you think if you're looking at like where we are and not just as a country, but where the human race is right now, we need, we need leaders to emerge and it, it's going to be the everyday person that's going to be the one that emerges. What do you, how can we reach those people and empower those people and what qualities do you think make a great leader? This is like my personal problem. What makes me feel more safe is authenticity. Yeah, I agree. But my like big trigger is bullshit. Yep. And a lot of leadership, a lot of leadership training, a lot of that executive coaching, because I've done it, is, and even I like worked for like a government, I was doing books for a government agency and they would do internal communications, business communication training. You may, I've written about this one. You, this is the one you would know. It's a compliment sandwich. Mm, yep. Right. So you like yep. you give people correction by saying something nice and then you give them the correction. Then you say something nice again. So that stuff makes me want to rip out my eyeballs in public. Yeah. I just, I have such a low, like an impossibly low threshold for bullshit. And here's the thing. I think most people do. And one of the attractions to Donald Trump's leadership is he he really is authentic. Like there's no bullshit. I think there's so much we can learn from him about leadership. I don't agree with any of the policies, but what he's doing is really this new form of no sugarcoating, Don't pretend to be anything you aren't. And I think a lot of CEOs, I get pressure from when I hire lawyers and when I hire HR people, they tell me, if you don't do it this way, you're going to get sued, right? So they want me to write my contracts in a certain way. They want me to like have my policies a certain way. So for instance, I'm going to give you a good one. Our company has a lawyer and we were working on our employee handbook and we were working on our sick day policy. Now the government has a sick day policy. You're required to have three sick days, Mm -hmm. which I thought was the most insane thing on the planet. I'm not requiring people to be sick. Right. (laughs) So I refuse to put in our handbook that we have sick days. So I'm like, our company does not have sick days. We have a wellness day policy. 
and you are required to take five days a quarter for wellness. You have to take five days. Now you may choose your wellness days on a day where you're feeling under the weather and you want to be more well, but I'm not going to like mandate that you be sick. So I'm trying to put this in the company manual and the lawyer's like, you are going to get sued. Like you can't say there are no sick days. It is required by law. I'm like, fucking sue me. Let's go. Let's see which employee would like to bring me to court. I will pay those legal fees happily. Now, to me, that's leadership. Well, it's there's no sick days in right. our policy. Yep. We have wellness days. So far, I haven't been sued by an employee. If someone would like to sue me, I guarantee you I could get enough PR from that to get a client <laughs> yeah, right. to pay for my lawsuit. But it's a great way I'm to look at not it. willing to play the bullshit games of making everyone feel nice. But I'm so clear on who I am. A lot of this because of coaching, right? I know my purpose. I know my mission. I know why I'm here. I know a bullshit law I have to follow from a place where I'll take a risk. So, you know, we don't, I don't do that to every law. Right. I'm not against the rule of law. This one, I was like, all right, what would that lawsuit be? I can play like, is this putting my company at risk? Right, right. Play this game. So authenticity is what we need to empower people with. Mm-hmm. And this happens with our teachers. Mm-hmm. This happens with parenting. This happens if you manage a grocery store. That, like there is no aspect, a doctor, there's no aspect of life that you can't be fully accountable for how you show up. Right. How can you be more authentic today? Right. Whether your job is at a gas station, you're a student, wherever you are, being clear on who you are, what you stand for, setting boundaries, saying yes and no, like all of those skills we aren't taught. What we're taught is how to not rock the boat, especially as women, how to not rock the boat, how to build consensus. Everything's not about consensus, in my opinion. How to be kind. Everything's not about kindness. I'm not against kindness or consensus, but it's like, to me, authenticity, which is can be a boring word because it's overused, but to me, knowing who you are and showing up without apologies for who you are, that is where true leadership is. And then people will follow you. So I've teamed up with Tony Horton. Do you know Tony Horton? He was the creator of P90X, one of the most revolutionary at-home fitness programs. And we created together a new fitness program called Power Sync 60. And it is literally, this program's never been done. It is a revolutionary 60-day program for both men and women. So here's why I want you to join us is that we literally created PowerSync 60 with you in mind. So it doesn't matter if you're a cycling woman, a postmenopausal woman, or a man. One of the things I brought to Tony was that when we work out, we have to think about our hormones. And he had never done that in the millions of workouts that he's created in his lifetime. We also included a free bonus meal plan and a customized tailor way you can eat right for yourself. Also, of course, we put some fasting in there and it was a beautiful meeting of the minds. 
So I, it, this is like a passion project that I'm so excited to share with you. And in order to get it, all you got to do is visit drmindy.org and use the code PS60PELS. So PS60 and then my last name, PELS, P-E-L-Z, to get 20% off. And you get lifetime access to the program. So that's drmindy.org and you use the code PS60PELS to join all of us. I'm actually doing this myself right now. So come join me, my community on this incredible journey. I am so proud to bring this to you. So I love that. And I think it gives people, when you are a leader and you show up like that, A, it makes people feel safe around you. And B, it gives people permission to be authentically themselves. Like I, again, I grew up in LA and part of why I left LA is you saw these people that were so beautiful and they drove these fancy cars to go home to their like beat up apartment. But they were so focused on when I'm out in the town, I want to look at this level of success. And they were paying more for the leases on their cars than they were paying for their apartment. And everything was smoke and mirrors. So when I moved to Northern California, I loved how people were so real back then. This was now we've the tech industry sort of changed things. But I just feel that that's the greatest gift we can give as leaders, whether you're leading your family or, or, your, or a classroom or a social media platform or a company, like just freaking show up real and stop trying to put on a smoke and mirror appearance. You don't have to wait for a bigger platform. You don't have to wait for the promotion. Yep. You don't have to wait to be recognized by your church. You don't have to win the election with your PTA. Yep. If you do it, people will notice. Yep. And, and so then my brain like goes to, okay, what if the whole world showed up authentically? Like how awesome. I, I would want to live in that world. Yeah. So I, I just... I do think you have to like... You have to decide where you will be with dissent. And one of the things, probably biologically, I'm sure we could find the biological roots of this. We are not comfortable with conflict as a species. Yeah. Again, probably to do with survival of the fittest. And so authenticity requires an ability to, like people don't, people don't like me. I mean, a lot of people love me. And a lot of people would very happily tell you they don't like me. And so for a lot of people, that's very uncomfortable. Like it would be more uncomfortable for me to be a bullshitter. Mm-hmm. But I think most people would be more uncomfortable because they, they don't see it as bullshit. They see it as being polite. Yeah. They see it as being socially appropriate. Like, Do you care what people think of you? I really don't. Yeah. And you... You and I have talked about this, and this is a whole nother episode. We, you're on the, you're an eight on the enneagram, and my sister's an eight on the enneagram, and it, I have learned that eights really do not care. I mean, I like it when people like me. I'm not, I'm, you know, blood and flesh and all that. Like, it's nice to be liked for sure, but it's not that important. Like, on a scale of one to ten, like, I don't know, I, I don't mind sweetened iced tea. I wouldn't really pick it. It's kind of like that. It's like right. I can either leave it. Yeah. 
It's got to be freeing. I, I I watch my sister and I'm like, man, like it's got to be so freeing. So I do care if I like me. Agreed. One of the hardest things for me is confusion. I always say my favorite emotion is clarity. I don't know if that's really an emotion, but I decided it is for me. With the with the pandemic and so much, I have a live events business. We have three events a month. I have a venue. I love being proud of myself. And it's usually very easy for me to make decisions that make me proud of myself, no matter how it goes. So I could put out a new offer. If people buy it, I'm proud of myself. If they don't buy it, I'm proud of myself. Like there's, there's very little I can do and not be proud of myself unless I'm confused. Yeah. And the last three months, I've been more confused than I have been in the last 10 years. I think we all have. And I just like, that's been the hardest thing for me Yeah, is like, how do you operate when you're confused? I want to get unconfused as quickly as possible. Yep. Yep. But do I resonate with that? The task of getting unconfused is very confusing. The past is <laughs> not trying to. Yep. Well, that's why you need a Jessica. Jessica unconfuses me all the time. I come in and I'm like, okay, I just need to like spew everything out of my mind. And then you, you put it into a system and come, I'll come back tomorrow and you tell me what we're doing. All right. Give me your phone. <laughs> right? Yeah, well, I have a question too on the, on the fact of like not caring what people think. Because I've noticed this with Mindy in our relationship for a long time. And going back to what you just said, you show up and you blurt all over me and don't really care what I think of you in the moment of your distress. But do you think that's one of the qualities that makes a good leader is not caring what other people think of you? And as, a, as an employee uh, for your employees, do you think that makes you a stronger boss, not caring what people think? No, probably weaker in that way because I'm oblivious because it, it's not important to me. I hurt people's feelings and miss it, which is not good for team building. So I definitely think you need um, like an implementer in between if you're like that. I do think there are lots of ways to be a good leader. So I don't think it's required by any means to not care what people think. I think it's easier to be authentic. So... If you don't happen to have the, I don't care what people think, Gene, then you're going to have to do some more mindset work on what's the story you'll tell yourself when people don't like you. Yeah. Because it can't just be do what they want. Right. Right. Especially right. as a leader. Yeah. Then especially. you're not authentic. Then yeah. you're just pandering. Yeah. Well, and I would think you don't get many employees. I mean, just listening to you right now, I would think you don't get many people that apply to work for you that aren't going to be able to handle oh, they your say boldness they and your, you know, just you say things as they are. Yeah. It's, they're very excited about it during the interview process. And then about 30 days in, they're over it. And they're like, why can't you just act like the other nice ladies? <laughs> <laughs> oh my but God, you have to really be... There are a couple people on my team who just from day one got it. One of them is my chief of staff who's been with me from the beginning. She just never, it was never an issue. But for a lot of my employees, I have one employee who's one of my 
longest serving, most devoted, amazing employees. But for probably the first three years of working with me, she would just burst into tears in every meeting, most for the rest of the meet. And I would be like, what's your favorite color? And she'd start crying. I was like... (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, we've had those. (laughs) So I just had to put other people in between who could handle it. Because... Yeah. That's helpful. Yeah. Well, and that's a quality of leadership, right? Is recognizing what you're what you're not skilled at and right. finding the people to fill that that part. Yeah, because yeah. I'm like, I can see these employees are awesome, but my approach is just making them Yeah. Yep. I used to hire people that I just liked, and then I realized like, well, that doesn't work because I need to hire my weakness. So this is where Jessica works great for me because she's detailed and I'm visionary. I don't care about the details and it's a beautiful fit. So let's finish. I have two questions. I've used a lot of your time. So I'm grateful that you hung in there with us. Okay. You keep talking about creating. How important right now in this pandemic it is for us to create. Can you elaborate elaborate on that? Because I've been thinking about that. You post about that on Facebook and I'm like, is it like, like we're just something new is going to emerge? Like, why do we need to create right now? That's a great question. So there are a few reasons why creating changes your neurochemistry. You're in a different state when you are in a creative state. So some people might talk about it as the chakras. For me, it's all about the neurotransmitters that are being fired. Mm -hmm. And so Right now, the heaviness of a pandemic, of lockdown, of like everything, that wellness. If you were diagnosed with cancer, I would tell you to create because that this is just as an individual, right? And then we'll talk about the society level. The heaviness of the moment is going to, I wish I knew neuroscience better than I do, but it's going to change your neurotransmitters. When you're depressed, it makes you more depressed. So if you just think about if your dog died and you stay in bed and you're sad about your dog and you pull out pictures of your dog, it will make you sadder. And then if you watch Marley and Me, you're going to be even sadder. And then you call (laughs) someone else whose dog died, it's going to make you even sadder. I feel like I've done this. Mm -hmm. (laughs) We all do because our brains will cycle that way. They're like, oh, more of that, more of that. It's like, if you eat sugar, you want more sugar. So we have to repattern our brain. And the best way to do that is to get excited about something and create it. So I don't care if you are canning persimmons and get excited about persimmons, study every persimmon, go buy persimmons from the Asian store, boil the persimmons, try a sweet version, try a salty version. It's not that the persimmons are going to change the world. It's that you are because the GABA that's going to go off, the serotonin that's going to go off from the act of creating is going to make you show up a lot differently. So when you get to the grocery store and someone cuts you off for a parking spot or isn't wearing a mask, you will be much less likely to want to punch them in the face. So I love that. I love that. So that's individual. Now there is a... Society reason I say this as well. Right now we're at, Martha Beck calls this square one. So she talks about the cycles of change and there's a cataclysmic event, which for us is the pandemic, which throws everything up in the air. I have an events business. I don't. You have a chiropractic office, maybe only one. Right. So there's a cataclysmic event and now 
what happens is we go into what she calls scheming and dreaming, thinking up the next thing to do. If we are scheming and dreaming now and creating now, it is very likely going to solve problems and invent things that might be a new way to adjust people through Zoom. I like, I don't know what that is. That'd be awesome. It might be a new medicine. It might be a new technique for painting. So I know in our business, we created so many new structures and gamified a bunch of our programs, the way we help people write books. Because we are in creation mode, which I think is good for you as an individual, it's also good for society right now because this is when we will invent things. So I you know that. during during the last recession that in the one in 2008, so many big businesses were built. A lot of our biggest institutions were built during the Great Depression. So many amazing artists came out of the Great Depression. So much amazing poetry. The plague, we wouldn't have Shakespeare without the plague. So there's a reason for that. So number one, for society, you might discover something amazing. Number two, even if you just can't can persimmons, you're going to make the world a better place no matter what you're creating. So. And you're going to change your own chemistry. That's what I heard. It's like forgiveness. You don't forgive somebody for them. You forgive somebody for you. I love that. I love so that. Inner world, outer world, and they play off each other. Then the happier you are, the more GABA and serotonin you're releasing, Amazing. the more likely you are to invent something, show up as that leader, solve one of our problems. So, okay. So if somebody wants to write a book, how do they find you? which is an amazing thing to create, right? Yeah. And And it's scary. Most people think the great thing about writing a book is they'll like have their book and be able to hold it. The best thing about writing a book is when you put the words on the page, you will change. Just like if you can persimmons, you can have persimmons to hand out at Christmas or you can have a book to hand out at Christmas, but creating changes who you are. Mm -hmm. And our author's make more money, make a bigger difference, make a huge impact. Partly because the book and the book helps. It's nice to hand someone a book. But the book is like the tip of the iceberg. It's the part you see. It's who you become. And that's why our program, it's actually inspired by Julia Cameron, who wrote The Artist's Way. Our program is called The Author's Way. And it's about changing you to make you the person who wrote the book. So I do a master class at theauthorincubator.com slash masterclass. If people want to take that, it's free. And I teach about how to how how that inner to outer game works. So I think that's so important because the the process of writing a book is really a healing process, whatever you're talking what it's like soul sucking in some sense. But you're the way you guys do it, you give it so much structure and it's like somebody like lovingly, like, here we go, we're gonna do this together. And it just allows you to just take whatever you need to unfold onto the page and do it beautifully. So it's very hard. It's not impossible. But it is very hard to not finish your book with us. 99.6% of our authors finish. You would have to go out of your way. Yeah. To, yeah. You'd have to trip up quite a bit. Yeah. yeah. So no, if you imagine powerful. someone coming to your house, bringing persimmons, bringing the pots, bringing the sugar and the salt and standing next to you in your kitchen, you, 
you could not can the persimmons, but it would be really weird. You'd have to like look them in the eye and be like, I guess you can stay here. I'm going to go to my bedroom. You will feel very awkward. (laughs) It's a good analogy. This is by design. Okay, let's finish up on this thought. Uh, I always like to ask my guests if you had one message for the world, like if you could get just one message out and scream it from the highest mountain possible and get it into everybody's brain, what would it be? For me, the number one message that I want to get out there is you were born to make a difference and it's your responsibility to take action towards that. Whatever that looks like for you, but I believe everyone is on this planet to make a difference. And I could not agree with you more. And this is my, last year, my word was empower because I want to empower people to see how incredibly miraculous and beautiful they are. And the world dumbs you down and it tells you lies. And they know, they know because you and I are both working right now with Marianne Williamson. But when she says, our deepest fear is not that we are inadequate, it's that we are powerful beyond measure. We all get chills every time we hear that and we're like, oh, shit, that is it. It is our light and not our darkness that most frightens us. Your playing small does not serve the world. And that's what we told ourselves. We're like, oh, I'll just be polite. Like, I don't want, no, no, your playing small does not serve the world. There is nothing enlightened about shrinking. Oh my gosh. I adore you. Thank you for giving me over an hour of your time. And yeah, seriously, guys, if you're thinking about writing a book, I've written two books. And then the third book I wrote with Angela and I had all this thought in my head of like, oh, I've already know how to write a book. But holy cow, did you give me a whole nother level of thinking? So, so grateful for you. I can't wait for the next one. Theauthoringcubator.com slash masterclass. If you guys want to go deep on this with me, I'd be excited to chat with you about it. Awesome. And we'll leave a link in the notes. You put the whole foods in, you take all empty foods out, you put organic food in, and you shake bad toxins out. You eat ketobiotic and your microbiome shouts. That's what it's all about. You put fast cycling in, you take overeating out, you put the good fats in, trying seven fast types out. You download Carb Manager where your food is all graphed out. That's what it's all about. That's what resetting is all about.